Pray with me this morning as we begin. Let's invite God to move in us and to speak to us. Heavenly Father, we are very thankful to be in your house this morning. We are here to worship you, and we give you our everything. We give you our hearts, our minds, our bodies. We give you all. And we ask God that you would move in us, and we pray that you will help us with readiness to receive. Help us with hearts that are ready to pursue peace. Allow me this morning to plant seeds for peace. Lord, we pray that you will be honored and blessed in all that we say and do today. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. When I was in high school, uh, we had this small town newspaper. We lived actually about four miles out of town in each direction. There was a small town in one direction and a small town in the other direction. And each one of those small towns had their own little weekly newspaper that was produced. And I remember when I was in high school, there was a newspaper article uh, about a policeman in a nearby town. And when he retired after serving for many years on the force, he turned in his gun with the original bullets he had received when that gun was issued. Now, I remember there being a lot of joking about that. I mean, I think we joked about probably, you know, taking the bullets out of the gun every once in a while to dust them off, things like that. Some people laughed at him for never having used his gun. There were nasty jokes that I remember being made, uh, suggesting that he might have been weak or a bit of a coward. But as I've grown older and I've reflected on that, I think it was exactly the opposite. Our area was sometimes a little rough. It was known for its redneck attitudes and its behaviors, and yet this man managed to serve an entire career using methods other than violence to resolve conflict. He was well-liked, and he was known to be very effective. And I think he was a very great example of what a peace officer should be. Now, we're talking about peace today, and we're doing a series on core values. Core values, those fundamental beliefs that guide you, those values that help you to make good choices. Core values understand or help you understand uh, who you are and help you to interpret how the world around you works. And uh, it's where we get our understanding of things like integrity and honesty and fairness and compassion. As followers of Christ, our values need to be aligned with God's values. And they strengthen our and support our relationship with Jesus when they are aligned like that. They help us to grow and to be ready to follow him more deeply. If our values get out of sync with Jesus, we can end up pretty distant from God. And we can end up in places where I know that Christ would not call us to be. As brethren in Christ, we have 10 core values, values that are very distinctive of who we are as a church. They're rooted deeply in our history and in our doctrine, and so far in our series, we've looked at seven of those. Today, we're on number eight, and it's pursuing peace. Now, here's what we have to say about that. We value all human life and promote forgiveness, understanding, reconciliation and nonviolent resolution of conflict. You know, in the Beatitudes, 
Jesus is talking to this group of people, and he says to them, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Now, when I planned this sermon series, obviously I had no idea that there was going to be a war breakout in the Middle East, that there would be a major war between Israel and Hamas. Um, none of us could see ahead of time the, the terrible attack that happened on October the 7th. And, uh, you know, some people are calling it Israel's Pearl Harbor. Other people have called it their 9-11. You know, anybody who read the accounts or saw the videos of the terrorist attack uh, would be horrified and angry. And, and I know that we would react that surely a very swift and harsh response was necessary. And yet, I also know that many of you have struggled with what that response should be, just as I have. You know, thousands of innocents live in that space between Israel and Hamas. And thousands have died in the bombings and in the rocket attacks in the last few weeks alone. And I ask myself, what is true justice in that situation? And I confess that I don't have a really good answer for that. But I do mourn the loss of life. And I pray for peace. I sometimes have to ask myself the question, you know, which, which victims are more worthy of mercy? Which victims are more worthy of my prayers? God would have us show mercy to all. You know, we could talk about Ukraine and maybe half a dozen other countries around the world that are in intense conflict right now. And we could come to the same conclusions or lack of conclusion. But no matter what's happening, no matter which conflict we're looking at, we pray for peace. And we do that because as Christians, we are called to peace. On an individual level, as a Christian, I know that I am acutely aware that God calls me personally to peace. And we know that Jesus, whose life that you know, we're trying to follow, I know I'm trying to follow Jesus' life, and he's the one who taught us how to live peacefully as peacemakers. And he gave his life as the ultimate example of peacemaking. I'm also very acutely aware that I fail pretty miserably at peacemaking sometimes, you know? Just as with our core values there, or other core values rather, there is so much that we can say about peace, about this particular one. And we're not going to be able to say it all this morning. There's so much to say, and Scripture has so much to say about it. And, and as I'm sitting there writing and preparing my notes for today, uh, I find myself just sort of doing some stream of consciousness stuff, just kind of pouring out onto the paper the things that are coming to mind and just listening, trying to listen to what God is having to say. And I, I felt God leading me to look at one word this morning. It's a biblical word. It's part of our statement on peace. And um, we know that we are called to be peacemakers. How? Because it's all through the New Testament, all through. It's saturated with this idea that we're to be peacemakers, reconcilers. And it's primarily seen 
in one very important word, and that word is reconciliation. Uh, I want to hang our hat this morning on that particular word. Uh, I want to talk about two aspects of that word that lead us, I think, back in a full circle to the idea of being peacemakers. We want to talk about reconciliation between God and man and reconciliation between people. Well, in, in Romans, the Apostle Paul says that because of sin and because of the fall, we are all essentially enemies of God. It actually says that. It says that we're on the opposite sides from God on the subject of sin. Sin is the ground that separates us from God. It, it keeps us from full friendship. It keeps us from relationship. And we need something to mend that rift Something to not only call a truce, but to heal the conflict all the way. Otherwise, we are separated from God forever. Jesus is that something. He is that someone. In Jesus, we can have friendship with God just like he intended. Paul has a lot to say about this. He says, for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. You might have noticed we sang about that this morning. That was one of the earlier songs we sang. Jesus' death on the cross took care of our sin. The barrier was removed. Forgiveness is offered, and so is salvation. And that becomes applied to your life and to my life when we receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, when we become a Christ follower. You know, God intended right from creation that we would have a relationship with him. And that relationship can only begin if you have Jesus in your life. It can't begin any other way. In Jesus, your enemy status gets changed to friend status. That's what it means to be reconciled. Our differences with God are resolved. Our hearts begin to become aligned with God's heart. Now, we used to be God's enemies, but now we are made friends with God, and we can now have a real relationship with God. That relationship, you know how it grows, right? It grows as we learn to trust him, as we read our Bibles, as we share our lives with other believers, and, and it also grows as we begin to talk with God and get to know him very intimately, very personally in prayer. Colossians 1, 19 and 20 says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, talking about Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And it's through Jesus' blood, it's through that sacrifice that that is entirely possible. Jesus is the peacemaker. His sacrifice of blood fulfilled the need that healed the war between us and God. Now, that's important because this reconciliation done by God through Jesus is the basis for everything else we're going to talk about this morning. 
as a Christian, your reconciliation with others is really based on your reconciliation with God through Jesus. It's because he made peace with you, you are to make peace with others. That's where it comes from. That's the basis of it. Not about feelings. Not about strategies. Not about foreign policy. It's about how God reconciled you to himself and now calls you to reconcile others to him and to reconcile with others. So reconciling with God leads to reconciling with others. Psalm 34, verses 12 through 14 says, Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. And here's the kicker. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. You know, before we knew Jesus, before we knew Jesus, our hearts were ruled by sin. And the pursuit of evil is easy. You know, small ways or in big ways. It's, the thief doesn't start out as a big thief. He may start with paper clips in the office, you know. And then we get used to the idea that thievery is okay. So then we move on to bigger things. You know, sin can grow in our lives just like that. We allow something small to enter and begin, and it can become bigger. You ever watch the news, and you, you see them, something terrible's happened, and, and, you know, the news reporter's on there and interviewing the next-door neighbors, and, and the neighbor's saying, you know, that person was always an upstanding citizen, and yet they've committed this horrible crime, you know, and you ask yourself, well, how did that man end up in this terrible place? You know, we say, well, he was such a nice and normal man. You know, it's almost become cliche. It really has become cliche, hasn't it? Well, we know that that's the effect of sin. Sin corrupts and changes us and can take us to places we never intended to go. We're in sin before Jesus is in our lives. Sin seeks evil. Evil corrupts. And our hearts can end up in a place where we never, ever thought we would go. All sin is based on something that God created. And it's either taken way too far beyond what it was intended to be or twisted into something that was not God's intention. For example, anger. Think about anger. You know, anger can be a good thing. Righteous anger, if it makes us angry to help make a change, you know. But anger can also take us to some pretty dark places. I want to share something with you this morning that is making me nervous today. <laughs> something that is, is a very personal part of my life. I've shared part of this story before, but not really all of it. When I was about 18, my parents separated. Uh, their marriage was pretty rocky for quite a long time, and, and uh, you know, Shelley was talking this morning about the emotional part of financial stress, you know, how when you get into financial stress and all of that that's inside, it can come out in inappropriate ways, and, and that certainly was happening in my parents' life, and that financial stress that we went through was kind of the final straw in their relationship, and my dad moved out, and he took another job, 
And uh, we still had our family business. We had a hotel and a restaurant. And so my dad rented a cabin just a few miles up the road, maybe four or five miles away, so that he was close enough that he could help out with the business when he wasn't working. He had to take on an extra job because things were that tight. Well, in that time, my parents' relationship was a mess, and they actually started seeing other people. And that caused a lot of trouble in our lives. I lived in a room behind the motel and the restaurant so that I could answer the, the night bell for room rentals. And one night, the phone rang. I answered the phone, and it was my mom. She was frantic. The estranged husband of the woman my dad was seeing had decided he wanted his wife back. And my mom says, she was shouting into the phone, really. She says, he's gone after your father. And she was practically screaming. And we knew who he was. Very volatile man. And I shouted back, where is he? She said, he's at the cabin. It turned out that this man had smashed through the door of the cabin with a great big rock. And he had beat my dad unconscious with a liquor bottle and poured rum all over him and tried to light him on fire. That man who attacked my father was instantly my enemy. Now, I was terrified for my dad because at that moment, I didn't know if he was alive or dead. And I was so angry. I was filled with rage. I was just shaking. And in that moment, I hated that man. And the first thing that came to mind was peacemaking. No, <laughs> it was not. I went to the wall and I took down my rifle and I loaded it and I grabbed a box of shells and I ran out of the building. When I got to my car, I put the rifle inside but just as I went to get in the car, a blinding light came into my face. It was a policeman. <laughs> it was a police car. And I guess he'd seen me run out of the building with my rifle, and he had pulled his police car across the front of my car to block me in so I couldn't go anywhere. And uh, he knew what was up. He knew where I was going. <laughs> and he said, where are you going, son? I said, I'm going to find my dad. And he told me, you're not going anywhere. I started to argue with him and really get into it with him. And he was trying to calm me down. And as we were talking, I heard a voice, and it was my dad. He was coming down the hill from the house. And he said, I'm here, John. I'm all right. I'm OK. It turned out the policeman had just brought him home after the attack. Now, in the end, my dad had a mild concussion, he had some stitches, but he was all right. Now, I have to tell you something. I thank God for that policeman. I thank God for that policeman, because I don't have any clue what would have happened if I had gone after that man with my rifle, because that was my intention. And I think at that time, I might have been angry enough to kill him. I don't really know for sure. Nobody knows until you're in the moment. 
but I do know that I am eternally grateful that I didn't find out. And I'll tell you a little more about that in a few minutes, but you know, I, I was basically, basically a good kid. I, I wasn't violent by nature. We think we'd never do something like that. We'd never get in a situation like that. But we don't really know for sure until, given the circumstances, we end up in a pretty extreme moment. And that's why we need Jesus. That's why I needed Jesus. Because on my own, I have no idea where I would have ended up. Not in a good place, for sure. I may have taken a life and may have lost mine in many ways. You know, in the movies, you solve your problems with a gun. On TV, violence is the way to settle your scores, to get even, even to right the wrongs. You know, that's the way it's portrayed. But, you know, in real life, violence often begets violence. And that's life in the flesh. That's not life in the spirit. The psalmist says, turn from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Remember, that's our, part of our core value here is pursuing peace. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, the peacemakers are blessed now, you know, we look at the Beatitudes, and, you know, Jesus wasn't just saying all this because he wanted to leave us with a bunch of good vibes and a bunch of pithy sayings. You know, that's not why he was doing the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes. He was laying down for us a way to live. He explains this a little more as he goes on through the sermon. He says, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. It's not just a new attitude that Jesus is trying to create here that he's looking for. It's a whole different way of thinking. And as he goes further on, Jesus says, you have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. That's where we get turn the other cheek, right? I've heard people say, well, we only have two cheeks. After that, I can beat on him. You know, <laughs> haven't you heard people say things like that? Nope. Missing the point entirely. Missing what Jesus is teaching here. He goes on. Says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Now we've gone from a new attitude to a new way of thinking to a new way of behaving. This is getting harder, isn't it? <laughs> it gets more convicting as it goes. Peacemaking is all through 
the New Testament. It calls for a changed heart in Christ. We are called to reconcile and make peace even when we don't feel like it. Think of Matthew 5, 23 and 24. If you're offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with them and then come and offer your gift. In other words, there's something disingenuous about us you know, going through this process of worship and yet having this outstanding, glaring problem in our lives between us and someone else. The old brethren in Christ, historically, whenever there was a communion time, would also be a time of reconciliation. There would be a pause before the communion time and people would be given the opportunity. And often people would get up from one side of the room and go to the other side of the room and they would ask forgiveness. And there would be just this time of repentance and then a time of rejoicing and a time of healing. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as Christ God forgave you. I'll tell you something I firmly believe, that forgiveness is the parent of peace. Forgiveness is where it starts. Peace has to start up there somewhere or it won't fully become peace. Forgiveness is not always easy. And I can tell you that from very personal experience. That man who tried to kill my father, he got away with it. And for the next year, he harassed my family, threatened my family. At times, my family lived in fear of violence. Made our lives a bit of a nightmare. Several years after that, I started pastoring my very first church in Toronto. And I learned that that man was going to be attending a wedding that I was going to be performing. And I was all twisted up. I didn't know what to do with that. I was just... I was outraged that he would have the gall to come. But as the time got closer, I really felt the Holy Spirit really working in my heart. And God was saying, you need to forgive that man. And I'm going, no way. There is no way I'm ever going to forgive that man for what he did to our family, what he did to our lives. And the Spirit kept prompting it's the last thing I wanted to do. But God wouldn't let me go. In the end, I, I surrendered to it. Maybe not all that willingly. On the day of the wedding, I saw him coming up the walk. And I met him at the door. I didn't know what to say. I didn't have any words for that. So I just stuck out my hand to shake his hand. He refused me. He turned away, he walked past me as if I'd done something to him. But sometimes it goes that way. 
Not all attempts at peace have a happy ending like we might expect or we might hope for. You know the happy ending in Christianity as well. He would have seen what the error of his ways and he would have got saved and lived for God as a missionary in China or something like that. You know, we fabricate in our heads these happy endings. It didn't go that way. And when you offer that, that hand of friendship, that extension for peace, that attempt at peace, sometimes it gets refused. But you have to do it anyway. You have to try. And you have to try for a lot of reasons. But mostly you have to try for the sake of Jesus. Because God reconciled us to himself first. That's the basis for our, our peacemaking in life. Do you know, even when that man walked past me, something lifted off of me. This burden, this hatred that I had carried for him for a long, long time. And I was able to forgive. I didn't expect that. I didn't expect I'd be able to do that. And I think that was the point that God was trying to make with me. Not that I could make, some, make everything right, but that I had to let go and I had to forgive. We say that we want to follow Jesus, and I'm sure we mean it with sincerity. But we are so tempted to skip over the hard stuff. You know, I ask myself all the time, the fleshy part of me asks, am I allowed to skip over that part that I don't like in the Bible? <laughs> Can I skip the parts that make me uncomfortable? Can I skip the parts that make me hurt? What parts do I get to ignore in God's word? You know, I know that I'm not always good at fulfilling it. But I don't think I have been given permission to skip any of it. You know? So that brings us back to peace. <laughs> God calls us to peace. He's given us a ministry of reconciliation. That's what it says. And I want to give you a passage. Let's put this up here. A passage to look up and to read maybe later today or maybe over the next few days. But I want you to, to sit down. It's very short. But read what it says and ask God to speak to you. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. Here it is in a nutshell. It says that in Christ, we no longer see people from a worldly point of view. We are new creations. Some of you got that memorized. Therefore, a new creation, the oldest past, the newest. You know, this is the context, is in peacemaking. We are new creations. And it says, God reconciled us to himself, and he gave us this ministry of reconciliation. In fact, it says, he gave us the message of peace. And then it challenges us. It says, be reconciled to God and reconcile others to God. And it ends this way. Let me read it for you. God made him who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him 
we might become the righteousness of God. Even when we don't feel like it. Even when it's the hardest thing. I don't have an answer for all the wars going on in the world. I, I know that it is not God's will that we go to war together. I pray for peace. I pray for the victims. Pray for those caught in the way. But I do know that on a personal level, no matter what's going on out there, we are called to be peacemakers and we are called to live a way of peace. That's what God has called us to. That's not weakness. That's powerful strength. Heavenly Father, I love you. I want to serve you. This is an area, Lord, you know I've struggled with all my adult life for a good part of it. But Lord, we ask that you would help us to plant seeds of peace, to become peacemakers, to learn how we can live in peace. Transform us, because that's not our natural way of thinking. Renew our minds and our hearts. Give us the opportunities to live peace and to give peace. Lord, I pray your peace over this congregation. I pray the peace of Christ in them and through them. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.